Uh, great to be with you uh, this morning. Really good to be here. I was saying this morning, I've never, thanks, man, never been to Downham Market in my life. I've now rectified that, so that's good. I'm not sure if that's a tick off or just, you know, um, just a, a, a first pass and a chance to be here. But really good to be here. Real great opportunity to spend some time with you. Uh, so my name's Stuart Keir. I am, uh, work wise, I am the general manager of Assemblies of God, which sounds really posh. I get that. It, what it actually means is I, I, I'm responsible. Um, so uh, all the day-to-day running of the movement of churches that you are a part of, uh, that lands with me. So the staff that work in the offices, um, I have the privilege of working with them in building what we're doing across the country. You're part of 600 churches that are Assemblies of God across the country, um, starting to grow and accelerate. Um, we've gone through we 520 churches um, uh, just two years ago, um, we're just hitting the 600, literally hit the 600 today, as there is a church being planted in Leeds, uh, probably in about five minutes time actually, five, if that clock's right, there's a church being planted at 11 o'clock this morning in Leeds, and um, we're thankful for that, we've seen 20 new churches planted from scratch just in the last six months, so there's an acceleration that's happening in the life of the movement of churches that you're a part of, and, um, and we're thrilled to see that, and we're thrilled to see all that God is doing, and we're thrilled to see a Pentecostal movements being recognised. You know, we as Pentecostals for a lot of years spent a lot of time on the sideline watching other churches being engaged with. Um, but even on national levels, and I think I can say this out loud now, um, uh, Glenn, who is the national leader of Assemblies of God, will be at the King's Coronation, has been invited to be there and, um, and is, the, is representing the Pentecostal churches of the UK. So just again, uh, AOG being seen for what it's been doing for many, many years, but actually being seen in the light of the, the big picture of what the church is doing in the UK. So thrilled to be a part of that. I'm married to Julie. Uh, we have been married for 30 years this year, and um, we have three children, of which this is our youngest, but not our smallest. Um, so uh, we have two girls, and uh, so Molly and Grace, and this is Ethan. And uh, I just said, hey, do you fancy coming to down the market? And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. So we did a little road trip, so it's great to be here. And, uh, and uh, my kids, our eldest, is, she actually got married. She got married three years ago. That's a strange moment in any dad's life when you kind of, there's this little punk who comes along and takes your little girl away. And you think to yourself, what do I think about him? Well, I'm going to give him a bit more time yet. Um, so they're doing well, but they have bought themselves a puppy which I was more prepared for than a baby, so that was okay. Um, but the puppy seems to be spending as much time at our house as it does at their house, and I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure what precedent they're setting for other future opportunities. So um, my wife seems quite happy about it. I, on the other hand, refused. Said, Can you have the puppy overnight? Not a chance. I want to sleep. I'm not having that thing keeping me awake at night. Uh, so, there's, so Molly and then Grace, our middle one, she's a nurse, and um, uh, loving what she is doing. She works, she works on um, neonatal, um, neonatal, I need the other half of the phrase, ICU, neonatal ICU. I couldn't do it. I do not have the emotional capacity to deal with tiny tinies just in, you know, the throes of, 
of starting life and all of that but she thrives in it and loves it and um, it's fabulous great if you have got your bible and i hope you've got a bible bible if you've not you've got something electronic if not it's going to go on the screens matthew uh, sorry mark chapter 10 nearly threw the person at the back there mark chapter 10 we're going to read from there in just a few minutes and um, we're going to talk about bartimaeus i'm sure you've read the narrative of bartimaeus before um but questions are really important questions questions change your life there's kind of three questions that happen regularly in our home regularly in our home one of the children will say what day is it because you know what day is it triggers that sense of what's going to go on today um especially with the daughter who's a nurse she's pretty good at getting up when it's early but when it's not on when she's not on shift she has no idea what day it is second question you often get what are we doing today which i know as a husband is a dangerous question to ask because the trouble is you've already been told what you were going to be doing that day and you've been told a few times and you've been told in advance and asking it one more time can put your life in danger what are we doing today but his favorite question is what's for tea that's the big question that's the question that occurs every single day in our home what what's for tea what are we having for tea and um you know uh, and, and it goes like that and then the really difficult question back is what do you want and then that it all goes to chaos at that point if you don't plan it but questions change your life questions do questions like uh, for me the question came what about bible college uh, i was heading to london i was going to the big smoke because i wanted to become an actor that's what I wanted to do. In fact, I had got into theatre college. So I had got into three of the main London theatre colleges. I passed my auditions. I was in. And then somebody really casually said, what about Bible college? And for them, it was a throwaway question. For me, it was a transformation in my life. I remember standing there uh, in my home church thinking to myself, gee, what about Bible college? I thought about it and considered it. And then suddenly the direction of my life changed. Questions like, will you marry me? Absolutely transforms lives. And the way the answer comes really transforms lives. Uh, questions like my wife said to me, what about a third? That, yeah. That made some change to our lives. Absolutely transformed us. A friend of mine once said to me, will you move to Manchester? We were very happy, planted a church in central London, a place called the Elephant and Castle. We were seeing God do some great things. And a friend said to me, why don't you move to Manchester? Come and help us build church. And we were like, no. We said no for two years. But he kept asking the same question until his question and God's answer married. And when his question and God's answer came together, we said yes. And he was surprised. And we said, yeah, we'll move to Manchester. So we moved there 14 years ago now. And we planted Audacious Church. And uh, we've been in central Manchester 14 years. God's done some incredible things. And uh, it changes your life. But probably one of the big questions that really changed our life was this. Do you know anybody who's got 2.5 million pounds in cash? It was a real question because we were buying a building and the bank decided they didn't want to lend us the money a week before can you imagine trying to find two and a half million in cash in a week so that was the question i asked my pastor glenn i said do you know anybody he said no so he said to me do you anybody i said i don't know anybody no so then we asked a better question do you know anybody who might know somebody who's got 2.5 million in cash we came up with a list of three names. We phoned them, and one of them said, I do know somebody. 
let me make a phone call. They phoned somebody who had never heard of us, never met us, and never even visited Manchester in their life, and they said, I can do that. Why don't you come and see me? And six days later, a man deposited 2.5 million in cash into our church bank account just because we asked a question. The power of asking the right question at the right time transforms situations. Mark chapter 10. Then the disciples, verse 46, I think it's coming on the screen. Thank you so much. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road you probably heard the story know the story know it well but there's something that bothers me every time I read it every time I read this story and every time I read the story of the man by the pool who's looking to get healed and it's the questions that Jesus asks sometimes I listen to Jesus speak and I think Jesus you're a little insensitive like you know the man by the pool Jesus's question do you want to get well? He's been lying by the pool, Jesus, for decades, waiting for someone to help him get into the water, and you ask him, do you want to get well? Blind man, he's a blind man. Like, even in our description of him, we still call him blind Bartimaeus, right? Even though the story is about him seeing Nobody calls him seeing Bartimaeus or healed Bartimaeus. We call him blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, which Bartimaeus? Blind Bartimaeus, I know you mean, right? Exactly straight away, that's where it lands. You get that. And Jesus comes along and says, what what do you want me to do for you? Jesus, he's blind. You heal people. What do you think he wants you to do for him? And yet, Prior to both of these moments, the man at the pool had never asked anyone to make him well. Never. He'd asked people to get him closer. He'd asked people to help him maybe hang around so that when the, you know the story, when the angel stirred the water, they could get him into the pool. He'd maybe asked people to do that, but he had never asked anyone to actually make him well and Bartimaeus well Bartimaeus was always asking people for things because he was a professional beggar that's what he did his entire day was spent asking people for things asking people probably to help him get to the point where he begs every morning 
someone, maybe it was a regular someone, we don't know, but someone would have had to help him get to where it was that he would beg because he'd worked out where to beg. He'd worked out the right place to be, the right way to be. He probably worked on his ask. You know, he'd worked on how to, how to ask the right way for the, the, to get the right response. He's begging for food. He is begging for money. He, he's probably had to beg for clothes. He may have to beg for where to stay. But what we do know is he just was forever asking people for things. And he would ask in a way that kept people on his side. Because when you're relying on others' goodwill, you have to work quite hard at being pleasant and kind and nice, not a little bit irritable, not a little bit ratty. You've got to do every ask in that kind of way. And so Bartimaeus has been asking for food and for money. And then Jesus comes along. You see... In all of our situations, when Jesus comes along, we have to realize that there is a bigger question that we can ask, a different question that we can ask. The questions that we can ask of everybody else pale in comparison to the questions we can ask Jesus. The questions we can ask Jesus are, are totally different. So let me put a question in your mind what do I really want God to do for me and what do I really want God to do with me see at no point in our lives is God done with us at no point is God go brilliant well done the only time we get the brilliant well done is when we meet him that's the point where he says well done good and faithful servant you've finished everything I asked you to do but until then there's still something more for each and every one of us to do and so the question is important to us what do I really want God to do for me and what do I really want God to do with me I want to suggest to you it's not a quick question that we shouldn't casually go oh you know really want this Lord you know really really want this need this to happen you know, this is the busyness of my week. I, I, I need this to happen. We've got Assemblies of God Conference a week on Tuesday. i got so much going on, it's unbelievable. Lord, it'd be really good if this happened and that happened. And, you know, those few people who've not booked in yet, come on, get yourself booked in. It'd be really good if that happened. But actually, in the big picture of life, those are the small things. Do you ever pray, think to yourself, sometimes my prayers are small. And, you know, you catch yourself, Lord, just a parking space, come on. Come on, I've been driving around here for five minutes. Just find me a parking space. Or we're bringing like our headaches. And I don't mean, you know, children. I mean, you're bringing your actual headache, sorry. I bring your actual headache. You're bringing those things, those things that are, that are challenging, those things that, and, and, and there's this massive stuff that we don't quite ask him for because it feels a little bit too big. See, I think we've got to go with a more high-risk strategy. We've got to ask God bigger. We've got to ask God bigger. We got the 2.5 million. It was great. It was a good day, that. If you've never had that day, it's a great day when suddenly 2.5 million turns up in your bank account. It didn't stay for long, but it was there briefly. 
we bought the building that we're in and we've we paid that two and a half million back as well which is probably more of a miracle than getting it in the first place and then we filled our building three times on a Sunday and we've planted other congregations so now we need a bigger building well the bigger building ain't going to cost us two and a half the bigger building is a much scarier number two and a half was pretty scary this next number is very scary but what looked like problems looks like becoming solutions so a builder's come along and has decided to buy the piece of land in front of our building we're on the inner ring road in central Manchester and he's putting up some flats and the council said yes and we said to the council but you told us no one could buy that and they said well it was a great offer oh we'd have made an offer well we, yeah but you couldn't have afforded it oh goodness what did they pay for that then so they're building that so we're like no we've got this piece of land that's just behind this now no one can see us disaster and then we said to the builder would you like to build on our piece of land he said I'd love to do that so what if you built us a building and then you can build as many flats on top of it as you want what do you think about that he says let me draw the plans so right now they're drawing the plans and if it goes through the way it looks like it's going to go through we're paying nothing for the building that we want we'll have to fit it out and pay for everything that goes in it but we're going to get away with a bill that is absolutely ridiculous because it looked like a crisis but God was working a miracle you see it, for Bartimaeus every day is just survival it's just getting through did he get enough money did he get enough money to get enough food or did he just get enough food we, we don't know if he's got people he's got to provide for we don't know if he was born blind well, we, we don't know if it was an accident we, we don't know what occurred that got him to this place we don't know if this has just happened over time and the things that we would go and correct our blindness with he hasn't got the opportunity for we don't know any of those things but we just know that he gets this one chance and I want to suggest to you that when we gather together like this and Jesus is in our midst there is an opportunity for us to ask him differently for us not to come with our usual ask or our usual connection point we're not going for our daily needs lord just just enough for today lord if you just get me through we have a chance to ask a question that could change everything that's what's before us because when we come into his presence we're not just coming into a bit of singing and communion and prayer we're coming into the presence of almighty god and we we can't be too casual with that but we can't be too fearful with it either we've got to find the tension between the two where we realize that god the father comes and stands before us and says i actually want to do these things for you would you ask me so let's try and learn some quick lessons from Bartimaeus number one is this you ready number one Bartimaeus he asked differently 
He asked, in fact, there's all seven, just up on the screen for you, all in one go. He asked differently, right? First, I mean, totally different to anybody. So much so that he asked differently, the crowd shouted at him. Because, you know, if you've been in the hubbub of a crowd, and if you've been in the hubbub of a Middle Eastern crowd, it ain't a quiet thing. It's a noisy, it's aggressive. We were watching our football team yesterday, Bolton Wanderers. Thank you. Greatest football team in the world, we were chanting. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a lie, I've just chanted. Um, we were watching yesterday and the crowd was noisy and the crowd, and then the crowd was quiet. And then the crowd, and the goal went and then the noise was overwhelming and it was great. And that's what crowds are like. So he had to shout in such a way that his ask was different. Sometimes we've got to get a different ask upon us. We've got to get a little bit of desperation upon us. We've got to really want something. Second thing he did, he really asked personally. He asked Jesus. You know, he is shouting, Jesus, son of David. He's declaring with faith, Jesus, son of David. Listen, we have got to come personally with faith. It's not enough for you to come and say, I hope someone's got faith. You've got to come personally with faith. We get to the end of this passage and it says, Jesus says to him, your faith has healed you. So somewhere in his ask is his faith. Because we don't demonstrate our, we demonstrate our faith both by what we say, but what we do as well. So he is shouting, Jesus, son of David, he's making that messianic statement about who Jesus is. Jesus, you're the son of David. So he is making a declaration. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. He's not shouting, Jesus of Nazareth. He's not declaring where Jesus was born. He's declaring who he believes Jesus to be. See, we have got to declare who we believe Jesus to be. That he is the son of God. That he is the king of kings. That he is the Lord of lords. That he is the most powerful who ever walked on the earth. That he is the one who reigns on high. That he is the one who sits upon his throne. Who has his enemies as a footstool under his feet. That's who we're declaring Jesus is. We're not declaring Jesus is nice. Man, we've got to stop being nice about who Jesus is and start declaring his authority and his power over all things. So he declared with faith and then he asked until he got asked back. There was just that moment where Jesus said, call him. First of all, he says to him, call him. And you know, that's where we get to number five. Crowds are fickle. Like crowds are really fickle. We were watching the game yesterday. We're winning one. No, we're at nil-nil. The crowd's getting a little bit restless. We've just won a cup at Wembley like four weeks ago. So if you're not interested in football, live with me for a minute. We've just won a cup at Wembley four weeks ago. We haven't done that for a lot of years. We are in the playoffs. We might get promoted. And the crowd's getting a little bit upset that we've not scored one goal. And you just think to yourself, man alive. We've spent years in the doldrums. Be excited that we're even here right now. And then you score and the crowd goes wild. Now the crowd's totally on your side. And that's what Bartimaeus has got. When he's shouting, they're embarrassed by him. And they're telling him, be quiet, be quiet. You need to be quiet. And the more the crowd tells you to be quiet, I think we have to realize the more the crowd, the more the world tells us to be quiet, the more we have to realize we have to raise our voice. 
The more the world tells the church to shut up and keep quiet and not talk like that, we have to raise our voice as the church. We have to start speaking out. Uh, just the other day, we had the privilege of sitting with Keir Starmer um, to help him do his Easter message. Um, it's not a political statement. It, we'd done similar things before for Conservative par- Party. Um, Keir Starmer sat with us, and we said to him, what do you think the church should do? And he said, I think the church should be more bold. He said, if you believe the message that you carry, he said, you should be much more bold about the message that you carry. Well, if someone with no faith can recognize that about us, then we as people of faith should see that. We should be more bold about the message we carry. It should be something inside of us that says, I've got to declare this and I've got to proclaim this. And there is a boldness that Bartimaeus, when he is shouting and screaming and the whole crowd is telling him to shut up, and then suddenly Jesus says, call him. And the whole crowd's like, you're the best guy here. You know, that shut up thing. Forget I ever said that. Come on in. And suddenly the whole atmosphere, the whole situation shifts and changes. On your feet, he's calling you. The man they were trying to shut down, they helped up. Listen, in situations and circumstances that you are facing, there are people who try to shut you down, push you down, hold you down. God will turn things around so those very people that try to keep you down will be the people who will help you up. We've got to believe that the Lord can turn all things around, that there's no circumstance or situation where he can't move and he cannot transform things. So let me declare over you, he's about to do that for some of you. Number six, he asked with his actions as much as he asked with his voice the other day i was going into work um normally for work i would wear a pair of jeans a black t-shirt possibly a pair of shoes maybe like a denim jacket or a jacket or something but the other day i went in wearing well pretty much what i'm wearing except a different jacket and first thing that happened i got i came i came out of our bedroom in the morning and I'd, i'd finished getting dressed and i got downstairs and my wife said to me you look smart today I said to her, babe, I'm just wearing a different jacket. That's all it is, just a different jacket. She said, no, no, you look smart today. I said, okay, I'll take that from you. Thank you very much. And then his sister went, hey, you look smart today, Dad. What are you doing? I'm just wearing a different jacket. It's just a different jacket. That's all it is. I'm not doing anything clever. It's just a suit jacket, not a denim jacket. That's all it is, nothing else. Oh, okay. I arrived at the office. One of the girls in the office said to me, you look smart today. What are you doing? I said, it's just a different jacket. I said, it's nothing big. Like, just hang on a minute. I'm thinking, so I went and found a mirror and I'm looking in the mirror. My hair looks exactly the same. It looks like this every day, right? I'm looking in the mirror. I've got the jacket, I've got the jeans, same jeans. You know, I've got, most of the jeans look the same. You know, okay, I've got shoes on. Okay, they've got shoes, but it's just a jacket. And I'm still thinking, what is it about it? It was just a different jacket. A few years ago, we were on our way to a wedding, and on the way to a wedding, we realized we needed to buy a new tent. We didn't realize on the way to the wedding, but on the way to the wedding, we knew there was a shop, and we could buy a tent on the way. So we went into Decathlon Sport to buy a tent, dressed for a wedding. (laughs) Wandered into this large Decathlon Sport, making our way around, and as we're making our way around, you know, everyone's looking at us. I'm fully suited and booted, shirt and tie. My wife is is dressed, as, you know, for a wedding. It's a fairly close family wedding, so we're really we've gone for it. I got a flower in, you know. She's got a hat on, the whole deal, and we're walking around Decathlon Sport. We eventually get to the tent section. We pick up a tent. We walk to the uh, cash register. We get to the cash register. The lady looks at us. We look at the lady. She looks at us. We look at her. She looks at us, and I say, "Tent." 
She goes, oh, yeah, your tent. She scans the tent. She looks at us again and she says, can I just ask you a question? I said, of course you can ask a question. Yeah, yeah, no, what's, what's the problem? She goes, who are you? I says, what do you mean? She goes, no, 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 who are you? She says, nobody shops for a tent dressed like that. I said, that's true. But we're not, we're not dressed for where we are. We're dressed for where we're going. I was in uh, Uganda, probably around, about, uh, probably around about 10 years ago now, actually. And um, Uganda had just changed. the. R- if, if you've ever been to um, Uganda and you've ever been into Kampala, um, if you've been to probably any third world major city, there are rules for driving, but they seem open to interpretation. Right? I jumped in the back of this jeep we were in um, to go and see a project that we were sponsoring. And, um, and I went to put my seatbelt on and it didn't work, which wasn't a surprise. And then we're driving down the road and a police officer jumps in the middle of the road and stops the car and, and then gets in the back of the car and sits next to me. So I say, oh, hello. And she looks at me and she has a conversation with the driver in, um, in Lugandan. They have the, which I, I don't speak Lugandan, and they have this conversation, and we just sit there, and then we drive, and we pull up outside a police station, and the driver says, just give me five minutes to sort this out. He said, okay, and he's our host, and no, no problem. So we're sat and chatting, and then this other police officer arrives and says, which one of you two didn't have a seatbelt on? So I go, oh, that, that was me, because it didn't work. He says, oh, could you come with me? So, you know, I'm in full naive mode I said sure so I wander in and I get into the police station and he says take a seat I said no I'm fine I've been sitting all morning he says no 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 you're under arrest take a seat I said okay can I just ask what I'm under arrest for you're not wearing a seatbelt I wanted to say have you seen the traffic out there but I held that in and I said how long has that been a law he said 24 hours I said, okay. And then he said these words, do you not check the laws of the country you go to visit? Well, the answer to that question is no. Because none of us have ever done that, have we? None of us have gone on holiday and thought to ourselves, do you know what? I just wonder what all the driving laws are in France. I know I need to know some of them, but I'm not quite sure on the nuance of what they are. So I said, well, no, no, not, not really. He said, well, you should do. You're going to be arrested. So I said, well, what's, what do you mean arrested? He said, you're going to be arrested and you're going to go to jail overnight and then tomorrow you're going to be, you know, you'll face the judge. So I said, is this a money issue? Meaning, is there a, you know, amount of money I need to pay that solves this? Not trying to bribe him, trying to find out the answer. And he said, are you trying to bribe me? I said, no, 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 I'm trying to find out if there's a fine. I'm happy, I'll pay the fine, no problem, I'll pay the fine. He says, no, no, you've got to face the judge and you've got to go to jail. Well, at the phrase, got to go to jail, everything in me, well, I, I was nervous. I've got to be honest. I was a little bit more than nervous. I was pretty terrified, to be fair. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going into a, a Ugandan jail for the night. This is not funny. This is not funny. So I'm, 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 I'm like, can I make a phone call? He said, make as many phone calls as you want. No problem. So I phone a friend. And I phone my friend. I said, listen, I have a little problem. I says, um, you know, you know who's saying this project? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, the guy, seatbelt, jail, overnight. He said, two minutes. I said, okay. Two minutes later, 
the phone rang in the police station. This guy who's arrested me, and he's pretty happy he's arrested me, he gets called to the phone, he gives me a really dirty look when he comes back. And he starts sending everybody out. And I can see through the door. Everyone's being sent out to a truck, and they're being handcuffed to the truck to go to jail. And he works his way around the room, and I'm the last one. So he says, he says my name. And I says, yep. He says, who do you know? I really wanted to say Jesus, right? I really wanted to, but I knew that wasn't the answer he was looking for. I says, I know this guy who I knew that the chief of police went to his church, right? So I knew that when I made my phone call. I was smart with my one phone call. And, and he, you know, he, the chief of police, it turns out, had personally phoned this police officer who has never even met the chief of police in his life, scared the life out of him, and he let me go. Who, who are you? said the girl as we bought the tent. Who do you know? said the guy. What we say and how we act when we bring our faith transforms our situations who are you we've got to be sure about who we are we've got to be sure that we're sons and daughters of the most high God we've got to be sure that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords and he invites us to sit with him in heavenly places now he invites us to be there not when we die now to sit with authority. Who are we? We're, we're the ones that he's looking to heal. We're the ones he's looking to set free. We're the ones he's looking to boot. Who are you and who do you know? We know the king. We don't just know him casually either. If we've chosen to follow him, we became a son or a daughter. And when you're in the son or daughter position, you can ask totally different questions than a casual acquaintance can ever ask. So Bartimaeus did the final thing. He asked for his greatest desire. His biggest thing that he could ask for. He said, I want to see. What stops us really asking the Lord? Is it a fear that he won't? That we could be disappointed by him not answering either disappointed in him or somehow disappointed in ourselves once again is it that we don't vocalize you know our deepest needs we we actually don't often talk about what we really want because we live too much life on the surface instead we should dig in and we should go it's God see when it comes to Jesus I want to encourage you change your ask Stop asking small. Stop getting caught up with the underwhelming prayers. I think the Lord is often sitting there going, really? Is that all you want from me? In the all I could do, that's the bit you want. C.S. Lewis put it like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I, I don't want my life following Jesus to be... I read a few verses this morning. And I prayed for a few minutes and then I just got on with it. And I'll come back and visit tomorrow. Nice to be with you, Jesus. But actually, a dynamic moment by moment encounters with him that doesn't just transform me, but transforms all of those that I spend time with. Listen, change your ask to something that no one else can do. We can ask Jesus for things that we can ask no one else for. Over time, I have had the privilege of meeting some ridiculously wealthy people. And I can't ask them for the things that I can ask Jesus for. They don't have the capacity or the power. Their money doesn't get us there. But Jesus, with all of who he is, in a moment we're going uh, to stand and we're going to pray and, I, and I'm going to invite you to, to really go big on what you ask the Lord for. To believe him for the miraculous. To believe him for a breakthrough and a change so that, that, that nothing's ever the same again. With our staff as part of our uh, care for them, we do a little weekly questionnaire. And one of the questions is this. Um, happens out, This question comes out every single week they answer it every week what is the one thing that you could do this week that makes everything a little bit better and we ask them every week and some of them go oh, i hate answering this question it just really irritates me and others go i really love answering that question because it makes me think about what i do so here's my question what is the one thing that if jesus answered it everything would be better what is the one thing? And, and, and what happens is, you know what it is. You, you already know what it is. One of my kids is away from the Lord. That's the one thing. Lord, if you could do that, you could bring her back to you. Lord, that's my prayer. What is the one thing that you could come to him and go, God, if you could do this. Let me read you some verses before we pray. Sometimes we need the word to stir our faith. Help us realize this is everything that the Bible teaches us. We've just got to push into it. Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it, it'll be yours. John fourteen thirteen. whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fifteen seventeen. if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The Bible is full of this. This is not an extrapolation from one verse. This is the principle of how we should come and ask him and believe for him.
So we're going to pray and we're going to believe and then I'm going to hand back to, to Aaron and we're going to, I guess, take communion in a moment or two. But wouldn't it be good before we take communion, before we remember that he died and that he rose, that in his death is everything we need for salvation, that in his death is all of healing, that in his death, that word salvation there in talking about his death means complete and full, that we can come to him for something where we feel something's missing and we could say, Lord, this one thing, I just want to ask you for it. Would you mind standing? And we're going to pray. And just for a moment, would you just, just lift both your hands and bring to the Lord right now that thing that you go, Lord, if you could do this, If you could do this, it might, be, it might be a physical healing. It might be the salvation of a loved one. It might be a breakthrough in a relationship where the relationship is, is totally broken and you're like, how does that ever come back together? It might be provision that you're facing something that's just terrifying, a gap, a finance gap, and you're wondering, how do we get there? It's just like the Lord, just Lord, I'm just bringing this to you. And just for a moment, just you bring it to him. Right across this room, people just bring in. There's something. Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you move? And Father, we... Look at every person right now. Holy Spirit, thank you that you don't see a room, you see the individual. And we pray, first of all, for every physical need that is represented in these asks right now. Holy Spirit, by your power, would you come and heal? Would you come and set free in Jesus' name? Lord, we come for every relational breakdown in this room right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and restore? Lord, would you give wisdom and would you give a word that unlocks the situation and transforms it? Lord, we pray over provision right now where there is lack in whatever way, shape or form. Father, we pray in this next few days, would there be miracle moments of provision? where you bring a breakthrough that changes every circumstance that is faced in here. Lord, for those who are just bringing someone to you that doesn't know you, Lord, we pray salvation. We pray a supernatural encounter with you that absolutely transforms them from darkness to light, from death to life, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, for other needs that are being articulated in hearts Lord Jesus we pray that you would answer that you would transform that you would do what only you can do and we thank you Lord that we can bring all of this to you 
and you miss none of it, but you step into all of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.